The Start On Demand. On demand. The city of Winnipeg has filed a huge lawsuit against contractors and the former municipal CAO over the new Winnipeg Police Headquarters. What's the difference between a civil suit and criminal proceedings in a case like this? The Canadian Vaping Association joins us to respond to a survey that says more people are in support of tougher regulations for e-cigarettes. We'll speak to the golden goalie, Winnipeg's Joel Hofer, fresh off winning the gold medal in the World Juniors for Team Canada. And Wheel of Fortune is celebrating its 45th anniversary this week. So we want to know, what's your favorite game show of all time? I'm Brett McGarry. Alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, we are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, January 7th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And uh, my day's off to kind of a goofy start. I will, well, I slept in for one. That's two days in a row now. I'm scared habits are forming. How, always, how much of a sleeping? Well, like three o'clock. I like to get up at two. I just like to say that out loud. <laughs> you slept until 3 a.m.? Come on, man. You're you. so lazy. <laughs> so I got here at like 10 after four instead of 3.45 when I like to get in. And uh, so that's problem A. And now problem B, just as I sit down at the computer, the screen resolution is off on one of these screens. It's all wonky and I can't seem to revert it back to the way I like. So Oh, boy. You know, that's going to throw you off. Well, it's funny how little things... Throw it can throw you off. Throw off doesn't your whole take day. much, or and I don't convince, mean for you. For in for a lot of us, it doesn't. It take convinces much. you. It's almost like a uh, like a superstition when you have one little thing, and then you wake up and, for example, like you didn't get up late, and now you feel like your whole day is going to be off, but really it's only a few minutes. Yeah, like your whole day cannot be destroyed by a few minutes. No, but it feels like it. Yeah, and it just I guess I don't. I, we're creatures of habit or creatures of 100%. routine. I try. I think that's one of the reasons why I've enjoyed working shift work. For most of my adult life, because then I never really had a routine. So the routine changed every week. It got the variety, you know, like when you work shift work and you got to go run errands during the day mm-hmm. uh, before. When, back, get when mall, back when malls were quiet during yep. the day and grocery stores were quiet during the day. <laughs> Great point. Like they're not quiet anymore, they're no matter what quiet. time you go. No. Not any store ever. Anybody I know who goes to Costco. Yes. My dad likes to go like right when it's open. And sure. it's, he says it's always busy. Yeah. Like no right question. at door opening. I thought this was going to be the one advantage of this shift is that kind of thing. Like you'd go to the doctor's office and it wouldn't be as busy or you'd go to Costco and it wouldn't be as, nope. How many times do you yell, does anybody have a job? Yeah, all the time. Even yes. at 4 a.m. I'm yelling that. I'm like, why are all these cars on the road? <laughs> Go away. What are you doing? Leave me alone. I had to drive home during rush hour yesterday, and I was beside myself. I just don't. I salute everybody who has to do this every day, because we are we are spoiled with that 4 a.m. drive to work. That is the big advantage that I find, the difference between this shift and when we did the afternoon show together. Coming in. Nine o'clock typically would drop off the kids at 8.30 and then come straight here and then head home right in the heart of rush hour. So versus 22 minutes to get home like it does for me right now typically, 45, 50, 55 minutes, sometimes an hour. Yeah, I do not miss that. Yeah, I don't miss it either. So feel free to weigh in on anything, by the way, 204-780-6868. We're going to talk, of course, about the big lawsuit that the city has filed. Yeah, this is a interesting one because it was just last month that the Crown prosecutors, the RCMP, said there's not enough evidence to lay any criminal charges against Caspian Construction for the construction of that 
really cost huge cost overrun police headquarters. So they said no charges will be laid, no charges against anyone else. But the city has gone ahead and said, you know what, we think we've got enough to at least try to get some money back, recoup some of our losses from not just Caspian, but the former head of the city. So all sorts of people uh, named in this suit and lots of information coming out of it. And so beyond that conversation and just about the lawsuit and and what they've been working at for five, I think it's five years now since Caspian was first raided by RCMP. We're going to talk after eight with a law professor because it's fascinating to me that you could have no criminal charges laid, but still see some sort of civil lawsuit work its way through the courts. Well, I think that's the equivalent of you stepped over a line legally, but you still did some things that weren't appropriate in our mm-hmm. relationship as business partners or you as a contractor. You didn't break any laws, but you ripped me off is basically what the city's saying. Yeah. And I and I and I'd love to know what what what's the burden of proof? Is it so much lower in a civil lawsuit versus criminal? We were talking about OJ Simpson earlier this morning. I think that's the one that jumps to mind for most people. Found not guilty of murder, but then the family went ahead and sued him for millions of Mm -hmm. dollars, right? And I believe they won that case. They did win that case. They haven't really got much money out of OJ at this point. Well, is he still in prison? Oh, no, he's out. Huh. He's tw- he's on Twitter. Really? <laughs> on the regular, Dare he's I? on Twitter. Do not follow okay. him. <laughs> Do not follow him. Do you follow him? No. Not even out of morbid curiosity would I follow that man on Twitter. Well, how do you know he's on Twitter on the regular? Because I know lots of people <laughs> talk about him being on Twitter. And okay. He posts videos on Twitter, and there's a couple different people uh, that I listen to and follow that will comment on the fact that OJ is on Twitter. But I will not follow the man. Hmm. Okay. I better double check, make sure I haven't. <laughs> hey, I fixed my screen resolution, oh, so that good. problem has been oh, there solved. There we go. Also, Welcome as, back, Brett. As I was fixing the screen resolution, I see a text message that came in at 1.12 a.m. This Tuesday, so today, will be the 12th Lotto Max draw since the last jackpot was won. 11 draws, no winner. What are the odds of that? Always 8 to 12 draws with no jackpot winners. So today could be the day. Do you have your tickets? No, but I will get one. I got to remember to sign up for the office pool. I went to do it yesterday, but I only had a 20. And uh, my Buy four shares. What's that? Buy I guess four I should shares. have. Maybe I should have. I think you should buy four shares. Oh, well, imagine if we won, and then they they had to give me a bigger chunk. Oh, I think you should totally go in for four shares. I just I would feel weird about so that. So now I'm going to have to go in on this pool. I haven't ever done an office pool, but today I feel like I would feel really annoyed with myself. Tomorrow. How many people are in on it? And now it's like seventy 25. million. Yeah, oh, that's too many. I don't <laughs> want to share you're still getting like a million no, each after taxes. No, I don't want to. There's no tax. There's no tax on this. <laughs> tax free. Lottery winnings are tax-free in Canada. Really? Absolutely. I had no idea. No, in the States, you pay through the nose. In Canada, tax-free, baby. Yeah. So... Well, then what's the matter? There's your secret number right there, 2.5 million. You're no, good. No, 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 no. <laughs> then I don't have any room to give any away. Ah. I go buy my own tickets, thanks. <laughs> I, I buy my own tickets, too. <laughs> like Monica, what is that uh, episode of Friends when they buy the uh, tickets in the Mega Million lottery, uh, the Mega Bonus or whatever it's called, and then, of course, Monica has a ticket just for herself stuck in her shoe because there was no way that she could share all that money had they won. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, no, you got to get your own ticket as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good. yeah there's no, there's no guilt, no shame in doing that. <laughs> Just because you're in the office pool doesn't mean you can't get your own. But that's like I said last week. I would share with those who went in on the office pool for sure, and I'd probably share with all. Like all I the know, a, I, I had a friend in Vernon who won one of those jackpots as part of a group, but there was thirty of them, and yeah. they got sixty grand each. They won eighteen million dollars, whatever the number was. Yeah. And they ended up with sixty grand or seventy five grand oh, each, which is up, nice. He woke up the next day and I was like, "This sixty grand is the worst." No, <laughs> no I'm not saying that. But if you're gonna win a jackpot, why do you want to split it that many ways? I don't know. I just uh, just rather not have a ticket in the first place. This is very revealing. People's, is it? Yeah. Not, Why? I, I don't know. I think we should bring on some sort of psychologist about what our desires with our lotto, fake lotto wins say about us. <laughs> Probably the same thing, our dreams about our spouses cheap, cheating on us in our dreams and then holding that against them for two weeks. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. We had, that was a, we had a really interesting conversation a few weeks or months back on that. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and Greg Mackling talking game shows. Yeah, 45 years ago yesterday, one of the most popular TV shows ever debuted, and it's still on the air. No game show has ever caught on like... Only is Wheel of Fortune the most popular game show ever, but because it's on twice a day, far more people watch it than watch any other program on television. 43 million viewers a day. The hosts of the Wheel, Pat Sajak and Vanna White, have become stars. Our host is Vanna White. Oh, Vanna! Particularly Vanna, whose job it is to stroke the prizes and turn the letters. That was from 1985, ABC's 2020 John Stossel. You might recognize his voice. So we wanted to know from you, what is your favorite TV game show of all time? So let's go around the wheel here, starting with you, Tristan. Do you want us to play the clip or announce it first? Uh, well, I will just preface the clip in saying that uh, I have watched Wheel of Fortune occasionally and Jeopardy and the classics like Price is Right. But none of them for me came close to a show I used to love as a kid. What do you say when you drop your flashlight down the outhouse toilet? That was a show that it used to air on YTV called Uh Oh. And uh, I, I used to watch, and Jeffrey Forche. Oh, yeah. That was one of his favorite shows, too, where the gist of it is you would complete all these weird challenges or answer trivia, and if you were wrong, you'd get put in a dunk, tape and, a dunk tank and weird. Goo would be spilled all oh, over you. I can remember. Right. I have zero knowledge of this game. By the well, Punisher. By exactly the Punisher, who has a who by today's standards has a bit of a questionable outfit when you look at it now. Especially if you've seen Pulp Fiction, perhaps. Yes, maybe that's exactly what I was. Yeah, well, but it's funny how goo ends up being uh, sort of a common theme with kids' game shows. I, I don't think this was a game show, but remember, you can't do that yeah. on television. Oh yeah, the slime. goo was big. The slime was huge that's in that right. one. The slime. And I think there is goo involved in one of my favorite game shows as a kid. Go! These two teams are in the dark trying to catch ping pong balls by clashing their symbols. Whoever catches the ball first will symbolize silliness with 20 bucks and control of the show that never clashes with good taste. 
Yes, it's Double Dare. Remember Double Dare? Double Dare. I don't. Again. Two shows now. I'm out. Uh, I'm yeah, getting that, old. That was, it was just this crazy kids game show where they would get them to in, in, compete in all sorts of insane physical challenges like that one where they were catching balls with symbols while they were blindfolded. And I'm pretty sure there, it involved some, some sort of slime. I can't quite remember. But okay. I remember being thrilling and action-packed, and it was tons of fun. Fantastic. How about you, Kelly? What was your favorite? Uh, I'm sorry, I uh, forgot to uh, put in a clip. But, That's all right, Kelly. Thanks uh, for playing. Yeah, no, <laughs> no problem. No, you I, get a cordless I, phone as your th- consolation prize. <laughs> a toaster, a box, the Canadian, <laughs> or bubble gum. Wow. I'm gonna have to rent a U-Haul to take all this stuff. <laughs> I know. I'm sure. Go ahead, Kelly. <laughs> yeah. No, I. You know, it's kind of interesting because I grew up in an age where game shows were very, very popular on TV. I don't know if they're quite as popular now. But uh, I like the legitimate and, as well, the, uh, let's say, the uh, paradoxical versions of Jeopardy on Saturday Night Live. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, ouch. <laughs> yeah, I, but, the, but the real version, too. Alex Trebek is one of my heroes, and, uh, and, and the real Jeopardy is the show that I really enjoy the most. And, of course, they've got the Tournament of Champions starting uh, tonight. Could last as long as seven episodes, as few as three, as they bring, bring back the three all-time greats, biggest winners. So that's going to be pretty cool. One of our listeners uh, saying that uh, Jeopardy is there favorite game show. What about you, McNabb? Well, just hit it. Clip one. Here it comes from the Bob Barker studio at I CBS in Hollywood. Not regularly, but here's why. I always, 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 always wanted to be called up to play this game. Let's have another one. Here it Blinko. comes. Looking good. Looking good. Looking good. Looking good. I actually, because that game, you had to climb the staircase. And I remember as a kid just thinking, oh, that staircase is so glamorous. Like, I'd love to be able to get to the top of that. It had nothing to do with the money. You mm-hmm. never really won in that game, despite that guy there winning 10 grand. But, oh, I loved that. I loved Prices Right. Such a game of chance. Yeah. there's mm-hmm. That one's the worst. Like, nobody, you get, like, zero no all the time. No skill. Zero skill. You don't have to guess anything. It was funny. You talk about being a kid watching that. And when I was rewatching just a quick clip of, uh-oh, earlier today, some of the prizes, when I mentioned earlier, cordless phone. That was one of the prizes offered. <laughs> Bubble gum. Oh, this really cool case that impressed your friends for your backpack or something like that. And as a kid, I loved it. I was like, this is amazing. Can I be on this show? And now I look at it, I think, wow, wow. that was yeah. so... <laughs> how would you how would you describe it, Jeffrey? Charmingly lame, perhaps? Or? Yeah, like even like the boom boxes they had, like nowadays... Why? <laughs> just why? <laughs> Made why? by Candle, one of those yeah. uh, all-time great manufacturers. Jeff, did you have one? I do have one. The theme to Fear Factor. Oh, Joe Rogan Fear used to Factor. host it. Yes. Oh yeah, oh, that's a curveball. Joe Rogan. Never thought of nice. that as a game show, but yeah. Oh, it yeah. is a game show. Uh, Fifty thousand yeah. dollars up for grabs. Was it fifty thousand dollars? Something end of like that. that. Yeah. That yeah. was always fun because if you watched it with people, you could sit there and be like, would you know, have that conversation yeah. about what would you do? Would you mm. be able to handle that? Like where your line is, and so depending on who you're with, you learn a few things about someone. Like mm-hmm. you would eat a spider, right? Like, oh yeah. yeah, they would eat gross things or Ugh. have bugs crawl all over them. I feel like else. they ate a lot of different animal testicles on that bull show. Testicles? <laughs> I remember bull testicles. Yeah. Those things were huge. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and Greg Mackling, what was oh. yours? Uh, mine's in the list there. You can... When most people remember Press Your Luck, they remember these guys. Stop. You gotta win. Oh. The Whammies. 
These animated creatures would be conjured up every time a contestant hit the wrong screen. And with the seemingly random operation of the big board, hitting a whammy was just a matter of time. Stop! Stop at a whammy. The actual odds of hitting a whammy were one in six spins. Press your luck. No whammies, no big bucks. Is. So what do you, you could, if you hit it, you won whatever yep. you hit, They basically. had a big board, and it would light up, and you would press the button, and the board would stop, and it would give you whatever prize, typically money. But if you hit a whammy, it took all your accumulated money, and uh, it was just a lot of fun. Not a lot of skill involved. One of the things we were talking about that seemed to be a common theme for the variety of game shows that we liked, Loren, was Goop. Yeah, and it sounds like a Goop Lab or the Goop Lab is coming to a TV near you. And in case you haven't heard of it, Goop is that lifestyle brand brought to us by Gwyneth Paltrow, the actress. And what Goop says they've been trying to do for years is, quote, explore ideas that may seem too out there or scary. Well, yesterday, Netflix announced it will launch a six-episode series featuring Paltrow, Goop, and wellness topics like psychedelics, cold therapy, female pressure, female pleasure, energy healing, and psychics. Here's a little snippet from the trailer. So what happens in a workshop? Everyone gets off. <sighs> what the f*** are you doing to people? <laughs> What we try to do at Goop is to explore ideas that may seem out there or too scary. Are you guys ready to go out in the field and make a ruckus? Just another day at the office. <laughs> I had an exorcism. Oh, wow. I went through years of therapy in about five hours. I started to feel like a panic attack coming on. She knew something that my husband didn't even know. You want to talk about the vulva. Naked in a room with a bunch of women? I don't know if I have the guts. You've never seen yourself? No. Why not? <laughs> this is dangerous. It's unregulated. Should I be scared? <gasps> We're here one time, one life. How can we really milk the shit out of this? <laughs> So why is this under so much scrutiny? Why are people hating on this? And at the same time, why is it so popular, Loren? Well, I think it's popular because people, anyone who has an issue they're struggling with, whether it be weight loss or maybe your skincare regime or, you know, arthritis wants to cure that, right? And so if the doctor can't help you, go looking elsewhere. And I can appreciate that sentiment. But the advice that Goop has given over the years has prompted many within the medical community, including Winnipeg's own gynecologist, Dr. Jen Gunter, to speak out against Paltrow, particularly ideas like coffee enemas, the suggestion that wire bras cause cancer. And of course, if you haven't heard about this, the jade eggs for a woman's vagina. And I won't get into what you're supposed to do with them, but you use your head and figure out where they're supposed to go. And they've been touted as a cure all and a way to get your energy and healing oh going. My. So that last piece of advice, the jade egg, actually landed Goop in court and on many a late night talk show, including Stephen Colbert's. Secret to you that I'm a huge fan of friend of the show, Gwyneth Paltrow and her lifestyle brand Goop. <laughs> That's why I was so disturbed to find out that Goop is in hot crystal infused water because they have to pay $145,000 for lying to consumers about their healing vagina eggs and other items. It says other items because customers who bought the vagina egg also bought the butt pineapple. 
Goop was selling these vaginal eggs with the claim that they could balance hormones, increase bladder control, regulate menstrual cycles, and prevent uterine prolapse. Of course they prevent prolapse. Nothing can fall out once you got a chunk of gravel lodged up there. <laughs> According yeah. to this lawsuit, Goop's claims were not supported by competent and reliable science. Oh, sure. Maybe there's no book science behind Goop's $27 bottle of psychic vampire repellent protection mist. But let me ask you this. Have you ever met a psychic vampire? Maybe it's working. <laughs> okay. So that's nice for your 7 o'clock in the morning. But this is the kind of thing that they've been claiming. And so we've asked the question whether all the things Goop has been touting for years are bad. And there's actually a Canadian medical researcher and lawyer, Timothy Caulfield, who has written a book about it. And the title... Hold on, hold on. The book is all about... Oh, yeah. he's He's gone into it. And, and there's been a ton of people. I've reached out to so many people this morning who've spoken out against her from Ireland, the Irish Cancer Society, to people within Washington who are questioning Netflix's decision to put this stuff to air. Holy and so crow. Tim Caulfield's book, and he was on the news with Richard and Julie, Julie last night, the title is actually, Is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About... <laughs> Everything. Uh, she promotes coffee enemas, bad idea that could be dangerous. She says bras can cause cancer, completely untrue. She pushes supplements in the idea that we should be all taking supplements, you know, untrue. Uh, they can be harmful. They can be contaminated. Uh, she has crazy ideas about what we should be doing, things like uh, letting bees sting your face as an anti-aging uh, initiative. And people have actually gotten anaphylaxis from that idea. She's promoted things like cryotherapy, no evidence to support it. She spreads uh, pseudoscientific ideas that are potentially harmful. Uh, she, I think, erodes uh, critical thinking uh, in a way that uh, is, is detrimental to the society more broadly. Um, she contributes to the noise that is already out there you know, about health. So the question isn't just about what she's promoting, but to Brett, do you think Netflix has a responsibility to not let her have this show? Or are there all sorts of different things that, you know, tout to be documentaries or what have you that people will watch and then go, oh, that must be true and oh, follow it? Oh, boy. I, I see Netflix as a source of entertainment and uh, it's choose your own adventure there. If you subscribe to Netflix and you want to watch it, then it's up to you to, to make the decision as to whether or not you buy into it. I am curious to watch it just for the entertainment purposes. And Netflix, they're a business. Gwyneth Paltrow is a big star. People are going to watch this. So I understand why they do it. So I don't think I, I absolve Netflix of responsibility. They're not claiming to be a uh, hospital. They're a uh, provider of content. And if you watch it and decide you want to let a bee sting your face, I don't think that's Netflix. Uh, How upset would we be? How upset would we be if a, a bookstore decided not to carry a certain Fair title? Enough, free speech I think there. it's the same thing. Yeah. But how upset are you as a doctor when someone comes in? So I've tried this jade egg. And I can't get it out. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even want to finish the sentence. <laughs> The city of Winnipeg is looking to take the contractors of the controversial downtown police headquarters to court, and they're hoping to accomplish in a civil case what couldn't be done in a criminal one. It was just last month that Manitoba prosecutors, as well as the RCMP, said they didn't have enough evidence to charge Caspian Construction or any other players involved in the building of the police headquarters, which in the end was almost $80 million over budget. Here's Chief Corporate Services Officer Michael Jack. We're not privy to the reasoning uh, why Manitoba Prosecution Services uh, declined to lay charges. 
Um, but I think you've hit the nail on the head. It is a different standard. Uh, what we have is uh, more than sufficient evidence in front of us uh, demonstrating the scheme that we're alleging. Uh, and, and whereas uh, the RCMP and uh, Manitoba Justice needed to look at individuals uh, and individual companies, uh, whether or not the threshold could be met, uh, what we are looking at are the group of individuals and entities. Uh, and, and we know there is more to be learned. So you heard him say there's a difference in that threshold between criminal and civil courts. And so to help us walk through this, we're joined by University of Manitoba Law Professor Karen Busby. Good morning. Good morning. So why is the threshold different? What do we explain that to us? Okay, well, there are three differences um, principally between civil and criminal cases. The first is the burden of proof. In a criminal case, you have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, whereas in a civil case, you just have to prove it on a balance of probabilities. So that's number one. Number two, in a criminal case, the accused people have the right to silence. They don't have to cooperate. They don't have to say anything. But in a civil case, they do, and they have to produce documents on demand. And then thirdly, there could be differences in what exactly needs to be proven in terms of the elements of the wrong, alleged wrongdoing. So, um, you know, the, the standard of a fiduciary in a, for a criminal charge could be different than the standard of a fiduciary for a civil allegation. So those are some huge differences between civil and criminal cases. In essence, it's easier to, to prove your case in the civil court. Much, much, much easier. I mean, think about the right to silence. Um, an accused doesn't have to say a single thing. They don't have to turn over a single document. They don't have to do anything. It's up to the Crown to find all of or the police to find all of the evidence and to produce all of the evidence. That's a huge standard. Whereas in a civil case, a defendant has an obligation under the discovery rules, the so-called discovery rules, to produce any document that might have relevance in the case. So they have to produce all their emails, their phone records, the contracts, memos, everything has to be produced. So what is that threshold in terms of being found guilty in a civil suit? If there are all sorts of difference in terms of what needs to happen procedurally, what has to happen in terms of burden of proof and what is that level of burden of proof? Is it similar? The burden of proof is also different. So remember, there are three differences that I've outlined. So one is the right to silence, which we talked about. And then there's the burden of proof. In a criminal case, the Crown has to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. So you have to be very certain that the events occurred in the way that the Crown alleges. Whereas in a civil case, the question is, who on balance do you believe, the plaintiffs or the defendants? Whose story is a more credible story? So that's a very much lower standard. You can think that in a criminal case, the Crown has told a credible story, but if it's not convincing beyond a reasonable doubt, then you don't have a conviction. In a civil case, it's who do you on balance believe, and that's who ends up being the successful party in a, in a civil case. So you have to pick a winner and a loser, unlike a criminal case where you can go, well, I think he did it, but we just can't prove it. Exactly, exactly. What do we have for examples, Karen, in, in where this has been successful? We were citing the O.J. Simpson case, you know, found not guilty of murder, but uh, sued by the family and they won in court civil, on a civil wrongdoing. But does this happen all the time where there might not be enough evidence for a criminal case, but when you go to a civil court, you find success? Yeah, absolutely. So think about car accident cases, not so much in Manitoba, but outside Manitoba. There might not be enough evidence to lay a criminal charge, but there will be enough enough evidence to bring a lawsuit in negligence. It happens often in sexual assault cases where, it, you know, you have, um, again, the right to silence on the part of the defendant, but the defendant doesn't have the right to silence in a, in a civil case. So you might see a, a claim for civil damages in a sexual assault case. Uh, you see it often in uh, crimes like... 
alleged crimes like this one where there's fraud or conspiracy or kickbacks alleged. Again, you, it's really hard to prove fraud when you, the other side doesn't have to produce their documents, when you don't get any of the documents. But in a civil case, you get all of the documents. So it should be much easier to prove fraud and conspiracy in a civil case than in a criminal case. And is that then why maybe the city would, would take this action? Because it's going to cost them a lot of money to pursue this, but I guess they wouldn't be willing to roll the dice if they didn't think there was a really good chance that it would come out in their favor. Well, I mean, there will be volumes and volumes, perhaps even millions of documents in a case like this one. There are more than 30 individual and corporate defendants, and there are eight John Doe's, so eight unknown defendants in the case. So, you know, 40 um, litigants in the case, they all have to produce all of the evidence that they have that might in some way be relevant to the case. That gives the city a huge advantage over what happens in the criminal case. Could that be also a disadvantage, simply too much evidence, too much paper to go through? Absolutely. That's a, that's the downside of the discovery rules is you can be um, swamped with evidence. But there are ways to manage that kind of evidence. And also what it allows for you to do is, is sort of cross-reference. So if Party A tells a slightly different story from Party B, that gives you a way into examining, you know, what, 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 what differences show in the documents. So it can end up pitting the defendants against each other, which could be strategically to the city's advantage. University of Manitoba Law Professor Karen Busby joining us live on 680 CG. Karen, thank you as always for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. We were asking if uh, you remembered the survey from last year about attitudes toward dementia. Almost exactly a year ago it came out. And the most alarming in my mind uh, statistic and result from that survey was the fact that almost 50% of people surveyed wouldn't want anyone to know that they have this neurological disease. It sounds like such a great big stumbling block for getting better or coping with anything. And we want to introduce you to Brad McIntosh. He is living with dementia, not his own, but his mother's. Brad, good morning, and thank you for taking some time with us today. Good morning, Greg. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you because you know, I've been talking about uh, dementia and Alzheimer's disease uh, for a decade now since my time hosting the health report here on 680 CJOB and there's so much research going on but the bottom line is we know very little about Alzheimer's and dementia. We know more now than we've ever known. What we do know for sure is there's this gray wave coming and you're caught up in this. Yeah. But tell us about your mom and, and how long you've been dealing with dementia in your family. Well, for my mom, we've it, it started out about uh, four years ago, late 2014, early 2015, and um, we noticed there were some red flags in late 2014, but at our uh, daughter's wedding in Mexico, uh, that's where the red flags really popped up for us. Um, so we kind of sensed that, you know, there really is something going on with our mom. Like what? Um, well, for example, she didn't understand why she was there. Uh, for the wedding, uh, she started not uh, recognizing her own grandkids and forgetting things and stuff like that. Um, she would wander off on her own type of thing to go eat and get lost and stuff like that. So there's a few things that really triggered us to to wonder really what's going on with that. So when we got back um, from the wedding, um, I kind of thought that, you know, it'd be best maybe to go with my mom to go see the doctor and try to get a picture of really what was going on because um, she would be saying some things, but the reality is it was, it was totally different. So I went in to go see her doctor and started to ask questions and, and also listen to see what my mom was telling the doctor. 
and I found out that she really wasn't telling the whole story. And that sort of just um, springboarded me to get involved with the Alzheimer's Society of Manitoba. Um, you know, this is something that I never really uh, knew about at all. And uh, it is true that there is a stigma out there and, and uh, the percentages are high, like you said, uh, type of thing. So I really wanted to go in and learn and find out as much as I can uh, from the society to learn and how to deal with this and be well prepared for it. Is that why you think, oh, sorry, I was going to say, why, do you think it was hard for her to admit that she was going through this? You said that you were learning things that she didn't even want to talk about. I'm curious if there's that feeling within her and, you know, even in a doctor's office not to fully disclose because you don't want to hear yes, the diagnosis. Y- yeah. Yeah. As you can imagine, every, you know, we're all proud people, right? You're all proud of everything, stuff like that. My mom is very much so that way. So um, she, at first she was, um, you're not really upfront with it. I think we all think that she did know down deep inside uh, type of thing. And uh, as time went on, she's come around and said, you know, I'm not the same as I was before. My mind is not the same and, and that type of thing. So she has uh, gone through that that journey type of thing. But, um, you know, it was it, it is difficult and it was still it's still difficult to this day, um, you know, but um, she's my mom and got to do what you got to do to help her out, right? Two so. things really come out of your story for me, and it just reinforces something that I believed about this disease is that uh, there is an individual at the center of this who's afflicted with dementia or Alzheimer's, but it affects everyone in their circle. And the whole idea of being an advocate, uh, Brett's going through this right now with his dad, with something else completely different, but advocacy is such a huge thing in terms of being with someone who's dealing with an unprecedented issue. And that whole pride thing, I've been looking after myself for 90 years or 85 years. I don't need anybody to take me to the doctor. That's a tough conversation to say, grandpa, mom, dad, I'm going to come with you to find out what's really going on Absolute, here. Absolutely. And some of the things that we also went through is that not only uh, dealing with that, but uh, mom, it's time to park your car. You, you no longer can drive anymore. And then, you know, the move from an apartment to assisted living. And then ultimately within the last year and a bit, we had to move her into a personal care home. So a lot of changes, a lot of things, a um, couple of cancer operations as well thrown in there too. So um, there's a, you're absolutely right. It is a ripple effect. Uh, half a million uh, Canadians have dementia. So once you throw in the numbers too of the caretaker or caregivers and family members and stuff like that, those figures just balloon, right? So um, it is a ripple effect for sure. she ever get angry with you? Yeah, she did. Uh, a little while ago, actually, about four or five months ago, um, she actually called and uh, yelled at me saying that she wants her car back. Uh, she had a uh, fixation about um, somebody taking her car. She thought it was me. Um, my mom's never yelled at, at myself or any of my brothers or sisters. So, uh, that really, uh, uh tugged the heartstrings for sure. Yeah. Well, how many hours as a, you know, I don't, you don't want to count the hours as a son. I think family members want to do what they can for their loved ones, but you work, you have other family members and then you have the layer of worrying about your mom and trying to get to her, her needs as well. How many hours would you put in at, at the peak when she was still at home to try to figure out how to best help her? Um, well, there's... At the beginning there too, so I had uh, rotator cuff surgery as well. So I was off for six mm-hmm. months. So I had my own personal thing of dealing with my shoulder surgery and then issues with my mom. So for me, it was uh, because I had the time. Uh, also, I was going through physio and all that type of thing. But I had the time to uh, put in to help my mom, to go to Alzheimer's Society and talk to them and 
and I'm so grateful for them because they taught me so much. And even to this day, I still get involved. I'm, I'm a volunteer with them. Um, so there's you're constantly learning about things. So many, many hours. Uh, you do see the, the change from the beginning to current uh, type of thing. And really, you, you just have to be patient. Um, try to learn as much as you can uh, from the society and um, communication uh, with, with everybody, family. Uh, I'm very fortunate. My boss is very understanding. Um, I've had a, a good con- communication with him stating that, you know, what, what's going on with my mom, this is what we're doing and that type of thing. I'm, I'm very fortunate. I work out of my house. I have a home office. Um, so that, that's helpful. But he's always told me that any emergency that you have, Please go look after your mom. Have you I'm learned, very grateful for that. Have you had to learn how to talk to your mom again as well? And you speak of communication. I have a loved one who's <clears throat> dealing with dementia. And so every visit is different. We strategize how we're going to go in mm-hmm. because what might be part of the memory last time is potentially not there. And it, it becomes it, it, agitating if you start to ask questions or take that conversation to a different place where their memory no longer is. Right. Yes, I've went through all that as well. Uh, the, you know, some anger, uh, anxiety, frustration, um, not paying attention. Uh, for example, our oldest daughter is, uh, is a figure skater competitive for adult skating. Um, she, we were trying to show my mom a, a video clip of her skating in Kamloops. And usually my mom would be totally involved, watching and asking questions and all that. This one, she, she was totally distracted. So learning with her with different things and talking with her, um, giving eye contact, uh, touching her hand, uh, maybe play some music, maybe change the subject, uh, take her for a walk, go look at some flowers. Uh, we try to bring her to our house just to get her out of the, the care home. And um, we live in a small community in East St. Paul. We have a fair-sized yard, lots of flowers and trees and stuff like that. My mom uh, would like to, you know, look at stuff like that and, and sort of change uh, her mindset if you, if you can. And again, it's just the patience. It really is the patience of that. Big piece of advice for everybody. Take your time. Take your time and and uh, smile and, and, and joke around. I really try to joke around a lot with my mom just to, to throw it off. It is hard. There's been times where she's called me like 37, 40 times in a day, um, you know, um, and when she's crying, that's, that's the tough one to really deal with. But um, again, I'm grateful for the Balsamer Society for, for showing me things and learning things. We're grateful for you. Thank you for sharing your story so intimately. Your best, uh, our best to your mom and to your entire family as you uh, continue to go through this. Thanks for sharing, Brad. It, 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 you've, you've helped uh, it, lots of people this morning. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Brad McIntosh. He is living with dementia, not his own, his mother's. And the website is ilivewithdementia.ca. You can also follow the hashtag on social media, I live with dementia. And you can go to alzheimer.mb.ca for more information. Here's a headline on an email that came in to Mackling at CJOB.com, McNabb at CJOB.com, and McGarry at CJOB.com. Vanquishing vaping, support for tougher regulations rise as positive views of e-cigarettes go up in smoke. This is from an Angus Reid survey that says the number of Canadians who say vaping does more harm than good has nearly doubled from last year. Now, I should point out, full disclosure, I am a vapor. I've had a nicotine addiction for over 20 years, used to smoke. Now I vape. The vaping has helped me 
stay off of smoking. Now, for a reaction on this, for tomorrow, we're going to speak to the president of the Canadian Medical Association, who will be visiting Winnipeg. But for today, we have the executive director of the Canadian Vaping Association, Daryl Tempest, who joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Daryl, good morning to you, sir. Good morning to you as well. Thank you for having me on. So first of all, what is the Canadian Vaping Association and, and why do we need one? Well, the Canadian Vaping Association actually came to be in 2014 to help government bring in strong regulations for uh, water-soluble-based nicotine e-liquids. So we've been working with governments to bring in stronger regulations since 2014. What kind of regulations? Uh, specifically around, uh, it started with age restriction, uh, making sure that these products were targeted only towards adult smokers. Uh, that's where the product came from. It's been in, in Canada for over a decade um, and has had uh, phenomenal results for those looking for a far less harmful alternative to combustible tobacco. What is, maybe for those who are unfamiliar with how vaping works, can you explain what is vaping? Yeah, so vaping vaporizes nicotine e-liquid, uh, so it has uh, far less harmful uh, chemicals than that of uh, combustible tobacco. Um, and then you um, you vape it in and inhale it like uh, like you would uh, a cigarette, but uh, so it delivers the nicotine with ninety five percent, at least ninety five percent less harm than combustible tobacco. Well, that's the reason why I think many people moved over to vaping if they were already smokers or why there's a conception or misconception amongst the public that it's a safer place to start. If you look at the numbers, the concerns over vaping-associated lung illnesses in Canada, there's been 15 cases, and in the States, there's been 55 deaths. And one of the links is this chemical um, that is in some products known as the vitamin E acetate. Yep. So, you know, the... The information is uh, uh, with Canadians being concerned. Uh, we share a lot of their concerns. So if you look at the U.S., uh, the CDC was quite clear uh, that the products were that came from these illicit THC carts uh, containing things like um, uh, vitamin E oil, which are very dangerous for your health. So if you look at the current federal regulations under the TVPA or the uh, Tobacco Vaping and Products Act, uh, vitamin E oil, for example, is explicitly prohibited from the use of regulated products. The key here, and, and I understand why so many people are concerned, because um, uh, vaping itself has been very much um, uh, um, uh, almost like this peanut butter effect that all vaping is the same, right? And it's it's clearly not. These are oil-based products that come off the illicit product, uh, the illicit market that have caused all of these lung illnesses, uh, specifically in the United States. In terms of the lung illnesses here in Canada, uh, we still not uh, have received information from health authorities in terms of the products that were being used. We've uh, not only called on health authorities, but we also support them to make sure that they do, that they do these investigations because the only way that Canadian fears are going to be uh, subsided is if we get to the bottom of what's actually causing these illnesses, which are these THC uh, 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 illicit uh, dark uh, dank hearts. Uh, so, and we've seen actually an uptick in um, in these uh, products coming into Canada here in the last uh, couple of months, specifically around um, uh, with the derivatives markets for cannabis coming into uh, Canada. So we believe that these strong regulations and educating Canadians as to what water-soluble 
nicotine e-liquid, which has no attributed lung illness um, after over a decade of use here in Canada uh, and distinguish them from the products that are making people sick. So I would, and I understand that was one of the first questions I had for Brett yesterday when we were talking this out, whether or not we wanted to talk about this was that the understanding that uh, a lot of these deaths are being caused by improper use of of these vaping machines, for lack of a better terminology. Uh, it's not necessarily uh, the whole process, but the fact that they're being used improperly. Can we put that side aside just for a sec? Because as a parent, I guess one of my concerns is, and I've noticed this, I hate to say it, in my kid's circle, this idea that on one hand, vaping is is good for people who are trying to get off of nicotine and, and trying to get away from traditional cigarettes, but it's also, in my mind, creating another generation of people who might not have otherwise even gone anywhere near a cigarette, but they have no trouble and no problem trying vaping. See, and I'm glad that you asked that question because the data does exist, and that's where strong regulation is going to come through. So if you look at what really drove youth uptake, um, and it's, uh, it's these uh, slick pod systems with extremely high nicotine levels. So if you look in your product vape shop, uh, getting people to transition from combustible tobacco, you will see them use products that have anywhere between 3 and 12 uh, milligrams per milliliter of nicotine. The products that you're seeing with the youth, um, because Canada's nicotine, maximum nicotine level is 66 milligrams per milliliter, um, is they're looking for this thing called the heady effect or nicotine buzz. That's why if you go on social media, you'll see uh, young people, you know, vaping two units at a time, uh, putting as much nicotine into their system as they can. What we've called for is to cap the nicotine levels in Canada at 20 milligrams per milliliter. And we didn't just pick that number from um, uh, arbitrarily. If you look at the UK that has, you know, hundreds or sorry, thousands of flavors, um, uh, names that are that are illegal in Canada, things like cotton candy and so on and so forth, uh, they don't have a use uptake problem. And the reason is, is they cap the nicotine level at 20 milligrams per milliliter, which means that that heady effect or that buzz effect um, does not exist. And it makes these little um, devices, these sleep devices that you see uh, with kids uh, stealth vaping and, 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 and trying to keep this away from their parents, uh, almost ineffectual. So by lowering the nicotine level, you're really driving at the core element of why you experiment with this product in the first place. So the data exists in the UK. <clears throat> if you look in the UK, public health is the one that does the marketing. We've also called for and now have received a complete national ban on advertising. We've been asking for that since March of 2019 and, um, and dual verification for any online sales. What's scary out there is the fact is we have to call on the federal government as well to start to close down our borders because with even as much regulations as we can bring into Canada, you can get a prepaid credit card and buy these products readily from uh, places like China where they will not go through an ID verification to make sure that these products are um, delivered to adults only. And as a follow-up to that, uh, we don't know what's in those products. Having the regulated uh, vaping uh, system that we have now protects public health, it protects youth, and it allows this product to be available for the uh, tens of thousands of Canadians that have chosen it. We only have about 60 seconds left here, Daryl, but wouldn't over-regulation create a risk of vapors going back to smoking? 
as long as it make as long as the regulations make sense. What we want to make sure that we allow is access to product. That's why making sure that these products are sold in adult-only environments is so important. If you can't show your ID, you can't get through the door. And then that way, the person that you're speaking to is knowledgeable about the product and can make sure that you know the difference between a quality uh, nicotine e-liquid that's water-soluble and something that you would buy off the street where you could be putting yourself at public uh, public health uh, or sorry at um, at health risk. So it's very critical that these regulations support that this product is meant for adult smokers only. It's been a very effective over a decade with no incident of lung illness. That's what good policy does, is that it makes sure that it's targeted towards those who use it to reduce their harm. And if you are an adult or you're um, uh, under the age of majority, you should not be using these products at all. Daryl Tempest is the executive director of the Canadian Vaping Association, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Daryl, thank you for this. Much appreciated, sir. Thank you. Take care. On Sunday in Ostrava, Czech Republic, Team Canada claimed the gold medal in the World Under-20 Men's Hockey Championships. The World Juniors have become a holiday tradition, and winning gold is the expectation for Canada almost every single year. In goal, the team was led by Winnipeg-born Joel Hofer, who took over the goaltending duties from Nico Dawes, who started the tournament in net for Team Canada. Uh, Joel took over in the second period of Team Canada's preliminary round six, nothing lost to the Russians, the team they ultimately beat 4-3 to win the gold medal. Joel Hofer joins us now. Good morning, Joel. Good morning. How's it going? It's going really well. How's it going for you? Congratulations. Yeah, thanks a lot. I mean, um, yeah, I'm just sitting at home. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, I got back last night. So, um, you know, it's definitely nice to, you know, be back at home and sleep in my own bed. So it's good. Have you taken off that gold medal yet? Are you showering with that thing on or what? <laughs> yeah, I, I took it off after the, uh, after like, you know, once I got home from the airport. But um, yeah, it's obviously, it's obviously pretty special to, you know, have it around my neck. What does it weigh? Sorry? Do you know what it weighs? Like, is it heavy around your neck? Um, it's like, it's pretty heavy. I mean, um, I think it's solid gold. So like it's, I haven't like actually weighed it, but it's like, it's pretty heavy. Now, a lot of people, you know, in watching you play, Joel, talk about the fact that you seem so unflappable in that gold medal game. You're 19 years old, which is worth reminding people that you could remain so calm through what was a repeatedly intense and high pressure game. Do you have some sort of routine that you've gotten yourself into over the years? People always talk about goalies are a special breed, and I mean that as a compliment. So what do you do to get yourself into that space that you don't get flustered by everything going on around you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, I think, um, you know, I think I've had that, uh, you know, kind of composure ever since I was, you know, since I was a kid. So, um, obviously, you know, the the gold medal game was probably the biggest game of my life. But, um, you know, go, going into that game, I think, um, you know, my mindset was just going out there and having fun and just, you know, playing my game. And I think, um, you know, everything happens for a reason and everything will, you know, take care of itself. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we went down, I think it was 3-1 and then, um, you know, our team came back and, um, you know, they showed great, uh, you know, resiliency and, um, yeah, it was, you know, it was definitely an amazing game. I want to pick up on what Lorenja said, that goalies are a different breed. Why do you, what do you, what do you think makes goalies a different breed, Joel? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, um, I switched, uh, I switched to be a goalie when I was 10, so I was kind of, kind of a late bloomer in a sense of, um, you know, I wasn't a goalie, um, you know, my whole life, like I kind of switched uh, later on, but, um, I don't know, I was just, 
it was always, uh, you know, something that, uh, you know, I was passionate about. I always, I always liked playing goal and like street hockey or, or mini six or whatever it was. But, um, yeah, ever since I, you know, I put on the pads for the first time, I, you know, kind of fell in love and, um, kind of went from there. But there's a mental thing there. And you mentioned the fact that you've always been kind of this way since you were young. That's not just a skill thing in goalie. I think there's something that's a mindset. That you, I don't know. I don't know if people are born goalies, but it almost seems that way. Every well, time. you enjoy having the pressure of the game on your shoulders uh, to a great extent. Yeah. Uh, playing goal myself in soccer and hockey. Joel, would you concur with that? Yeah, of course. I mean, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, with a player, you're, you know, you're not on the ice all the time, but um, you know, the way I saw it when I was younger was, you know, goalies on the ice every time. And, um, you know, there's lots of pressure on him. And, you know, he's, he can, uh, you know, be the spot out of the game, right? So, um, you know, I, I would, uh, you know, as a kid, I would always go to, you know, moose games with, uh, you know, my parents. And I would always just, you know, watch the goalies and, you know, how, uh, you know, whenever they'd make a big save, you know, the crowd would, you know, get, uh, you know, get behind them and make, you know, make a bunch of noise. But, um, yeah, ever since, uh, Ever since I was a kid, I, I, you know, I always wanted to be a goalie. Now, your family story is absolutely fascinating, and we don't need to get into it now because we don't really have time. But the, ultimately, the, the sacrifice that, that you've made and your family's made, because you moved away at a very young age to move to Kelowna to pursue this at a high level. Maybe share with us uh, your journey to being drafted in the fourth round by the St. Louis Blues a couple of years ago. Yeah, of course. I mean, obviously, um, you know, my parents have, you know, been, uh, you know, the biggest role models for me, you know, ever since, you know, I was a little kid. And, um, yeah, obviously I wasn't, uh, I wasn't drafted in the, in the Western Hockey League, but, um, I think, uh, you know, as a, as a family, we, we kind of decided that, uh, you know, it was, it was best for me to, uh, you know, go to Kelowna and, um, you know, go to the pursuit of excellence. It's, it's a great, uh, you know, uh, organization they have there and, um, I, I was there for two years and, you know, I learned, learned a ton there and, um, you know, we were, uh, we, we were always fortunate enough to go to, uh, you know, tournaments in, uh, in the States in Minnesota and my parents would always come out and, you know, uh, you know, be there and support me. And, um, you know, my, my mom and dad were always, uh, you know, huge supporters of me and they were always, um, you know, you know, they were always by my side, whether I would, uh, you know, have a good game or a bad game, and they were always just, um, you know, striving for, uh, you know, me, me to be the best. I don't know if you know it or your parents know it, but during that third period and throughout much of the game, they kept cutting to a shot of your parents in the stands, and they were equally unflappable. And I'm a mom, so I always, I always get teary when I see mom and dads in the stand. I can't help myself. So who do you get it from? Do you inherit any of these traits from mom or dad? Um, that's actually funny you say that because uh, I think I think most of my uh, – you know, most of my friends were saying that, uh, you know, they're, that they saw like, my parents on the TV and, um, you know, my adult mom uh, in Swift Current would always say how my mom was always just like, she wasn't phased about anything. She was always just, you know, calm and cool, kind of like me. So, um, you know, I like to think that I kind of get it from her. That's a fantastic story. And, uh, and, and those shots are, are absolutely priceless. So uh, Jordan Bennington, uh, he, we know what he did to the Jets in the playoffs last year. You've yeah. uh, had one, or, or have you had two training camps with uh, Bennington? And, and maybe tell us what you've learned from him. Because, you know, his, his saying is, do I look nervous? Because yeah. uh, he's, he's unflappable as they come. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, you know, unbelievable story with, uh, you know, how he, you know, how he came into the league and how he kind of, um, you know, made the most of his opportunity. Right. So, um, obviously he's always calm and cool, collected, kind of like, kind of like how I, uh, you know, strive to be, but, 
um, obviously, uh, you know, with the playoffs and um, you know the run against uh, you know the Jets and um, you know all those all those good teams. But uh, obviously, he's uh, you know someone who I look up to, and um, yeah, obviously, uh, you know, I'd like to be in uh, you know his position one day, and um, you know, if I get the opportunity to uh, you know be in that position, it'll be you know pretty special. Joel Hofer. Thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations once again, young man, on uh, helping lead Team Canada to victory. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.